Hello and welcome to another Music Ally Focus with me, Music Ally's editor, Joe Sparrow. And in this episode, we're talking to Andy Robinson of Boutique Rights Management Company, Interstellar Music Services. Now, in the modern music business paradigm, managers can do everything. So we're going to be discussing how you can build a team and not be everything while still providing the best service possible to your artists. Each Music Ally Focus podcast episode, like this one, analyzes one meaningful music business story at a time. So this podcast is going to be quick. It should take about the same amount of time as Patrick Bertoletti could hypothetically eat 80 slices of pizza. Patrick ate 39 slices of pizza in 12 minutes in 2012, remarkably only taking second place in Canada's biggest pizza-eating contest. Now, talking of biting off more than you can chew, it's possible for the modern music manager to look after every single element of an artist's career. So how do you choose what to do and what not to do? Because if you try and do everything, that's the fast route to burnout. Andy has a background in artist management and now focuses on helping artists recover as much of their money as possible from their music via a data-centric approach. And he took this specific path after he realized that it was his strength. So we wanted to ask Andy one of those slippery questions that all managers must now ask themselves. With an infinite number of ways to connect with the music industry, how do you focus on the things that will work well for you and for your artists, and perhaps most importantly, how you choose what not to do? Let's go over to Andy right now. And so I'm very happy to welcome Andy Robinson, all the way from Barcelona, of Interstellar Music Services. Hi, Andy. Hi, nice to meet you. Thanks for, thanks for having me. We want to talk here about modern management, decision-making as a modern manager, and the sort of complicated thing that managers are now facing more than ever, which is when managers can do everything, how do they choose not to do everything and to focus on certain things? But first of all, can you just give us a quick introduction, who you are, what your background is, and, and what you do? Yep, uh, very happy to. My name's Andy Robinson. I run Interstellar Music Services. Previously, I ran Interstellar uh, Management, and then I set up a label and a publishing company. So my background basically is sort of being exactly, I, I guess, what we're probably going to talk about today is, is is a manager working with a variety of artists and, and sort of um, essentially doing all the bits that were required. So the label basically was born out of, um, you know, the artists I was working with needing a home for their recordings and the publishing company the same. I met a guy called Alan Jacobs, who was um, a bit of a mentor to me and, and sort of really um, taught me the basics of, of sort of rights management. And uh, I sort of built around the requirements of the artists I was working with, and we've ended up here. Well, let's talk about the modern understanding of the manager's role. Sort of leaning on your experience, how has the role of the manager changed in the last few years and why? And what has those changes meant for people working as managers? Yeah, well, I think, you know, the, the obvious sort of traditional role of a manager has always been about uh, being sort of sitting in between all the component parts. So the manager would be in between the artist and the label and the artist and the publisher and the agent and and what have you. And the, the idea was really that they sort of just fought on behalf of the artist to get what was was needed you always think of sort of peter grant characters with um you know hanging people out of windows and what have you yeah, have you broken anyone's legs in the course of a negotiation no I, the time to admit it. it's no. not, not really my style um okay. i'm pleased to say but um i mean i've thought about it but i've never done it <laughs> okay um yeah no I, I i think the modern the modern world 
you know, we've obviously music creation has been democratized. We've ended up in a in a situation where, you know, as we know and is endlessly counted, there's, you know, a lot of records, let's just put it that way, released um, every single day. And there's also a lot of solutions, whether they be technical or just the, the evolution of sort of distribution since since the, the digital age, which has meant that, you know, people can get their music out there. You know, there was a lot less shelf space in the in, in, in the past. And what that means is that from a manager's point of view, um, you generally have to do a lot more stuff. You have to be on top of it. It's all very well working with a DIY distributor or, you know, um, DIY publisher or whatever. But you actually have to manage that, the, you know, the aspects of that is you ingesting, is you using the portal, it's you sort of learning about those things. On top of that, you've got this sort of almost constant stream of new um, channels for uh, music marketing, whether that be sort of TikTok or the NFTs or whatever. So you've sort of got to be on top of the past, the future and the present. And I think, you know, that is a lot of tiny component parts add up to be a huge job. Um, and it's very difficult to honestly be on top of that, or certainly to be on top of that for a sort of sustainable um, large amount of time. I mean, management is famously a very involved um, job that takes a lot of time and energy and um, connections to various different parts of the industry. So in the last couple of years, we've really seen the sort of blossoming of platforms that really enable sort of 100% do-it-yourself approach, distribution, everything. Has that meant that the manager's job has got bigger or is it just just many more facets to it? I didn't work in the, the golden era of the 1970s and 80s when all the money was flowing through the music industry really? and we're only, yes, <laughs> lots of flowers on credit cards and, and what have you. Um, but uh, I think there's, it's easy to sort of look at it and think that um, now it's much bigger and more involved. I think the truth of the matter is that there's always probably been a lot to do. It's just that exactly what needs to be done is has changed and i think you know as you just mentioned there now sort of anyone can basically get some recorded music that they've created on their phone or wherever else you know up into the world how do you cut through the noise you know so it's it's actually a question of you know for me that the definition of success with all the artists i've ever worked with has always been around this idea of a sustainable business where you create something and then you can wake up in the morning and you can continue to create the thing, the art that you're, that you're making. And I think, you know, the way that you do that and the um, logistics involved has evolved and changed. And there are, you know, probably more responsibilities on, on, on the individual managers to be able to get an artist through that noise to a level of, you know, a certain level where, you know, we all know that, that some of the larger music organizations, the... The A&R process has become um, very much based on data, very much based on sort of metrics and seeing what's going on. And I think, you know, in order to cut through that noise and, and, and get a publishing deal or a label to sign you, you've already got to have created quite a significant amount of success on your own. Personally, I, I kind of feel that uh, if you've created that level of success on your own, why do you then need to necessarily sort of sell sell your rights? In fact, that's that's kind of the genesis of of, of my new company. Um, is this idea of like, well, why do people have to sell their music rights in order to have them looked after properly? You know, is, is the game 
as a, a manager to build up your profile of your artist and get some success and then at that point sort of sell the creations um personally i i, I don't think that's um in every case the requirement one of the things that's developed in parallel to all these uh, technological developments is an under is a sort of an equivalent understanding artists now are entering it seems maybe not entering uh, as an emerging artist, but they very quickly understand the realities of the business and how it works and also how it used to work and what the alternatives are in terms of doing it yourself and maintaining something that is increasingly desirable, which is a direct-to-fan relationship where there's no intermediaries and the, the artist team can connect with all those super fans and use platforms to you know, maximize that in a business sense, which is good for everybody involved. Um, you must speak to a lot of managers about this. First of all, what kind of desire is there for that? Does just what you just mentioned of staying independent and building the ecosystem and the structure themselves, and how are managers responding to that challenge? Yeah, I think it's interesting because we, yeah, I mean, we do we do talk to a lot of managers, and um, and interestingly the response that we get from from the majority honestly i would say is 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 fairly similar which is that basically they are doing the best they can they've i mean most of the people that we're talking to have created a level of success already um and what's happening sort of from the analysis that we've done both in terms of the conversations that we're having with them but also the data work that we've done in the background on on you know the reason that we're speaking to them in the first place is that actually there's quite a lot of money left on the table. So you could be doing very well in terms of, you know, um, getting your artist to be um, uh, blowing up on TikTok or getting your monthly uh, listeners on Spotify up and all these different sort of metrics that are important. But what we found is that, you know, in, in a lot of cases, like up to 40% of the revenues that have generated by that traction aren't being claimed because... And I know it's incredibly boring and we're all sick of talking about metadata, but because things aren't registered correctly and we're not claiming it, there's, there's, there's sort of money there. And that, that sort of goes back to my uh, answer a second ago about a sustainable business model is that one thing is about creating hype and about, you know, making sure that you cut through the noise. But the other thing is that how, how do you um, enable your artists to continue to do that regularly and in my mm. view the answer to that is you make sure that you're capturing all the revenues that have already been created by the work that you've already done and then you use that as your sort of leverage into future projects and in that way you're not then reliant on someone coming along and saving the day with a huge advance or whatever the, the situation may mm. be but where's the most common place that you find these revenues left in the dusty corners, you know, what, what, is, is, is there something which is very common or is it different for every artist? Uh, I think there's definitely some um, uh, variety, but I mean, it, it has to be said that on the publishing side, there's, um, you know, quite, we, we, we found people with, you know, 100 million streams, no publishing wow. registration, like ri ridiculous numbers that you just, you can't believe. Um, so, there's that, there's the neighbouring rights, there's, you know, uh, errors that have, have, have happened. But yes, certainly I think that there is a, the modern artist and the modern artist manager has a focus, understandably, on sort of marketing and the label, the distribution side and getting the records up there and is not, not necessarily capturing all of the other 
revenues from the other rights that are that already there. They've already earned the money. That's the point. Um, and so I think that's quite interesting. Um, and I think it's it's reflection on the fact that you know you can be on top of lots of stuff, but it is almost impossible to be on top of of everything. You know, and if you think that you're on top of everything, then um, either well done or you know have some reflection on on basically like where where the where the ball might be being dropped. Um, yeah. Let's talk practicalities then on on that part, which is like a lot of things in the modern era. The temptation is to do everything, to be on it. You know, artists might want to be on every social media platform, or you know, you might as a manager say, right, we're going to do everything ourselves. We're going to bring everything in house, and that sounds like a lot of work immediately. And it's the fast route to burnout as well. One of the really complicated parts is then, okay, just as everything comes in-house in terms of the, the possibilities, the decision-making comes home to roost as well. And you really have to make solid decisions, right? How, how should a manager go about that? Saying, okay, here's a thousand options and I'm going to focus just on these five for now. How do you go about it in your experience? Have you gone about making those decisions? And what do you base those decisions on? So it's about not necessarily doing everything yourself, but leaning into the bits that you know that you're very good at. I mean, a, a lot of managers these days are very good at, at, at marketing. And that's, you know, part of the um, the sort of label operation traditionally that they're sort of taken on, of, again, cutting through the noise. But then, you know, in terms of the rights management side of stuff, obviously, that's something that I'm particularly focused on. Um, for me, what I realized was that probably I'm the opposite. I was not great at the marketing side of stuff. But in terms of the forensic rights management was something that I actually sort of could lean into. I mean, just as a sort of um, hmm. a little story, one one thing that I found, and, and I mean, any managers listening, I highly recommend that you try this, is just if you've got oversight of your publishing and your recorded statements, analyze them. Like actually check one side against the other because, you know, I in every single artists that I've ever worked with I've found money just basically you know missing lost and then claimed it just simply by checking one side against the other and and you know it's those little things that enable you to then pay for a radio plugger or a social media person to help with the marketing stuff it's that so anyway going back to your your question I think the key is to work backwards from what your ambition is and then have realistic expectations about how you can do that. And I think, you know, a lot of especially young managers are feeling that they can't admit that they don't know how to do something. And right. so they're just pretending that it's all fine. And, and and that's a mistake, you know. And so what about those conversations then for, for any sort of emerging or younger managers and artists who are listening and perhaps haven't had this conversation? What sort of questions do you need to ask about if you're saying, okay, we're going to bring stuff in-house, or maybe even actually for more advanced artists a bit further up the ladder, we're going to bring some of these things in-house, we're going to keep it DIY, it means we get all these advantages of money and whatever, but we need to set our ambitions to make sure that we're really getting, we're able to focus and get the most out of it. I mean, those are, that sounds like a complicated conversation right how does that how do you go about doing that in a way that is constructive let me give you just one sort of um example maybe is that you know quite a lot of the managers that i talk to and we talk about the publishing side of things and they've got you know i mean essentially what's happening is that on a on, you know if their track came out let's say 
for example, obviously it varies on territory and, and different revenue streams. But, um, you know, they've had a song out. It's been doing very, very well. Came out two years ago and they never registered the publishing because they're waiting for a traditional publishing company to come along. And, and, and once they've got a certain um, level, they're going to offer them a massive publishing deal. They're going to take that. And so in the meantime, they're not claiming that money. Um, that money is just frittering away because after a certain point, it can't be back claimed, you know. And so those little things about being aware of that is is key. So, you know, do you know the best way of uh, creating a TikTok campaign? Maybe, you know, is that as important as making sure that all the revenues that you've already generated are being claimed? I would argue probably not. You know, I think that both are important, but in terms of creating a sustainable business, the key probably is to make sure that um, whatever activity you're doing in order to um, create traction, that you're then capturing the value of that on the back end. So in terms of like priorities, for me, that's, that's a huge priority. As you say, the temptation is sometimes to say, I'll just take that. I'll do it. I can do it as well. I can learn and do it. And of course, it, that is the incremental way to uh, get to burnout, right? Whether it's the manager doing too much or then the artist as a consequence of the manager and the artist saying, hey, let's do everything, then the artist is stretched. And how do you find that managers now are treating that side of things, especially when things are coming in-house, mental health, protecting everybody's sort of limited mental resources? Part of doing everything is understanding what other options are there and then making educated decisions as to as to the, the right ones. And I think, you know, the traditional um, music industry has been very much based on this concept of, okay, now you hand over control of that to me. I'll give you some money or a contract or whatever it might be, some resources, um, and I'll we'll do that now. Um, and now, you know, that doesn't exist in the same way as it does. And so obviously, as you say, that puts a lot of pressure onto um, both the artists and the teams to to deliver to those expectations of the other people involved um, and to try to sort of cut through the noise. I think, you know, my, I hope that my artists that I've worked with over the years would agree with me here and, and, and sort of um, acknowledge this. My view is very much that, it's very easy to look to the future and think of all the things that you could have be doing or how other people are doing well. But the important thing is to really focus on like what your objectives were and are and how you're doing and whether or not people resonate with the music that you're making most importantly, how you can continue to make more of that art. And that is fundamental with both the um, mental health um, consideration but also in a sustainable business as we, we talked about earlier on but I think for me the key is appreciating the wins that you have got I, th I see so many people sort of hitting a target and then immediately moving that target higher and not being satisfied with the achievements that they've had both on the on the creative and on the business side and I think you know a key thing is to really sort of you know it's a cliche to say enjoy the journey but I think it's important to sort of make sure that you take the time to appreciate the wins that you've got as a team, you know, what you've managed to achieve and also be realistic about the fact that 
it is impossible to do everything perfectly. You're not going to. No one is. Even with all the resources in the world, people make big mistakes. So you've got to cut yourself some slack. Um, and you've got to bring the focus back to being about why are we doing this? What is important to us? What are we trying to achieve? And honestly, if what you're trying to achieve is fame or money or whatever, there's, you know, there's, there's other ways other than art and music to do that much faster and more efficiently. Let's look forward a bit. The manager role has sort of has changed in the last few years. But what would the, that role be like, perhaps as you are planning, for sort of five to ten years' time? Is there anything that's sort of a minor thing now or that is outsourced regularly now that you, you, you foresee coming in-house? Do, do you foresee management becoming more DIY and, and, and sort of management becoming the start and end point of a lot of the business? What do you see coming? I mean, I mean. Uh, firstly, I wish that I knew what was coming in five to ten yeah. years' time, because um, <laughs> we, as we all do. But um, you know, I think the important thing, and, and probably this this relates back to almost like the first question that you asked me, is this idea of what is a manager's role, you know, and where is that going? And honestly, I kind of think that we're we're already in moving in the direction of travel, and probably going to accelerate more towards this sort of partnership rather than the sort of traditional it's a percentage deal or whatever or it's a, you know it's about a as more responsibility for success and uh, and running the business goes on to the manager rather than them overseeing other businesses taking part in taking care of those component parts that that probably the direction of travel in terms of the artist and manager relationship is going to be much more about partnerships and about um, uh, how how all the elements are sort of put together. Honestly, I can completely easily envisage a scenario where instead of there being a manager doing everything, we get back into there being more of a breakdown of like this person is responsible for this and this person is responsible for that element and what have you, but in a different way than it used to be, you know, in the traditional um, music industry. I mean, the... That we all hope that um, songwriters get a better split of the revenues. You know, I think that that is uh, unsustainable as it currently is. There's a lot of sort of talk about it, but um, that I think will make a big difference. Um, right. And you know, finally, I think you know we've got without touching on the huge subject of AI and what have you, and and, and how that uh, you know too much how that fits in. My personal view is that. Um, music that is made by humans and that resonates with other humans is art, you know, and that doesn't mean that art can't be created by other ways, but we need to safeguard that art and that representation and that craftsmanship um, and be careful that we um, don't, in the pursuit of um, efficiency, speed and what have you, that we, we that we disregard that and think of that as old, because I think there is a um, a real value to to mistakes made by humans that are captured and turned into um, products. That's a very interesting point about AI. But the one thing it really seems to be good at, and this is, a, I imagine, a good thing for uh, managers who need to bring things in house, is that it can it can quite easily replicate um, jobs or, comp- or, the, or frameworks of jobs that perhaps would have taken a lot of time for a person to do before. So, for, I mean, it's. You you can ask ChatGPT to draw up a management contract. I would not recommend anyone do that. Um, but you can draw up small agreements as a framework. And then the manager, for instance, could 
check it, insert the right things that they want. But it, it can sort of, there might be a way in the future of using AI as that kind of tool that would expedite the kind of tasks that now take time and yeah. uh, other resources. And the, and the manager gives has more control because it's not wasted time on repetitive tasks. Well, look, I mean, we're, we, you know, the, a lot of what I've sort of talked about so far in this um, in this chat has been about this idea of like, you know, money being left on the table or as my um, business partner says, money left on the floor, um, yeah. you know, and and about how it needs fixing. And, you know, obviously, you know, I'm sure nearly every podcast that you record has someone talking about the value of metadata. And, you know, we've all watched too many panels at conferences about it all. But imagine a world where... Um, you know, the global rights database does just get fixed by chat GPT, you know, I mean, yeah. like that created, you know, well, exa- ex- exactly. Yeah. That's exactly Skynet right. You know, we should hope that if in five years time, we're still talking about the fact that, um, you know, metadata needs to be inputted correctly at source and how do we tidy up massive catalogs then you know really like it would be great if we could move back onto the human connection and, and resonance and art conversation. Um, and that's that's personally my hope. Yeah, good. Uh, well, uh, thanks for that. And uh, as a final little contextual nugget from you, uh, Andy, what is your favourite piece of music? If you could only select one song, or I'll give you an album if you really want, uh, that you could listen to for the rest of your life, what would it be? Yeah, I mean, oh, diff- such a difficult question. And I knew you were going to ask this because you always ask it. Yeah. Um, my my initial reaction was to, I was going to try and switch it back on you and ask you because I'm not sure that anyone, anyone. No, no, the switcheroo yeah. is not, is but, strictly uh, yeah, not allowed. I, I, knew, I knew you'd do that. So I knew you'd say that. So I'm just going to, um, I'm just going to say the last record that I, I literally listened to this morning, which is, uh, you know, subject to change, which would be um, the first Santana album. Really? Okay. You're the first person to suggest that. So, uh, it's, uh, and I should be really building up a giant playlist of all these, but I'm not. Yes, you but, should. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, great. Uh, what, what do you like about it? What's the, what's the attraction? Well, it's the, 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 the percussion on soul sacrifice is the, is the thing that really, uh, won me over this morning. I uh, basically, I've just, I, I live in Barcelona now and I had my records all shipped over recently. So they've been in storage for, Right. years and years so i'm sort of like like a kid in a candy shop listening the to the process of rediscovery yeah, fantastic exactly. it's wonderful okay great well i will put a link to that beneath the podcast and i'll put a link of course to uh, interstellar music services and something to you as well and people can check out what you're doing uh but annie robinson thank you very much thanks for joining us thank you for having me much appreciated All right, that's it. Big thanks to Andy again. And if you found that useful, please share this podcast on with someone else who you think will get something out of it. If you'd like to get in touch with me, it'd be great to hear from you. It's joe at musically.com. That's J-O-E at musically.com. We also have a free weekly email called The Knowledge, which rounds up bits and pieces of the best analysis, news, marketing insight and skills from Music Ally. So you can uh, sign up via the link that is below this podcast. And if that seems like too much of a commitment for you at the moment, uh, if you hop over to Music Ally on LinkedIn, there is a way of subscribing to a version of the newsletter via LinkedIn as well. All right, that's it. Thanks very much for joining us here on Music Ally Focus. I've been Joe Sparrow. You've been our wonderful audience. And see you next time.